Hello and welcome to the Cold Chain Podcast. My name's Shane Brennan and I'm the Chief Executive of the UK Cold Chain Federation. Bringing you the last in the series of live sessions that we recorded at the TCS&D exhibition in Peterborough in the week of the 7th and 8th of September. So my last interview I'm really pleased to bring you is with Mark Burrell of Moran Logistics. Mark has been the Managing Director of Moran for the past year. Um, one of a new breed of leaders in our cold chain federation. You know, the cold chain is made up of a lot of very experienced people, people who have been in their jobs and in their roles for a very long time. Mark fits the character of some of the other people we've interviewed in this podcast, like John Stowe at ACS&T, who've come into the industry, this specific part of the industry, relatively recently. They're bringing new ideas and they're reshaking things up. And as you'll hear from the conversation I had, Moran are a business on the, on the move, really growing at the moment, really establishing a USP in the market, and really sort of bringing a fresh perspective to the challenges of meeting the needs of customers in the chilled supply chain. We talk particularly about issues around people and how we motivate and retain people, not just the short-term crisis, but the long-term challenges that we face. And we also talk a bit about how collaboration is helping businesses like Moran to uh, grow and scale up at, at a crucial time. So I'll let you get to that interview very, very shortly. But before I do, my ever constant reminder of the importance of subscribing to the Cold Chain podcast so you get all of this great content straight direct to your phone and also please if you can leave us a review on your on your podcast platform that really helps me to grow the profile of the of, of this platform and get our message out to more people and the more we do that the stronger and bigger and better our community will become thank you for your support and enjoy this latest conversation Let's get straight into it. So I'm really delighted to bring to, to, to introduce our, our next guest, um, who um, is a relatively new uh, entrant into the world of, of Cold Chain, or at least into the Cold Chain Federation uh, family. And that's Mark Burrell from Moran Logistics. Um, Moran Logistics is a, a medium-sized and growing, very fast-growing uh, business in the, within the Cold Chain, within that, the chill distribution space. You will have seen their lorries out on the road, a really, really nice livery, if I do say so myself. Um, and Mark obviously uh, came in as sales director and then took over uh, as managing director earlier this year. But I won't do the, the biography stuff. I'll hand over to you. Mark, welcome to the Cold Chain Podcast. Okay, thanks, Shane. Um, so, Mark, I was in a little point of history, but why don't you tell us in your own words, what's your sort of history and work in logistics, and how did you find yourself working for Moran? So, I, like most people, I think, fell into logistics um, straight out of university, went into hotels and then decided that wasn't for me. Um, fell into logistics, working in a warehouse for a company called TNT. Uh, worked at TNT in the parcel sector for most of my career to date. So I had uh, 23 good years in TNT and then latterly with FedEx when they acquired TNT um, a good few years back now. Um, decided I fancied a change a couple of years ago. Left the business, had six months reacquainting with my family and getting my golf handicap sorted out. And, uh, and then found myself at Moran Logistics as a commercial director. So I've generally been um, started in operations, moved into a commercial background, working in the financial sector for TNT and FedEx, and led a number of businesses there. Um, I've been Moran Logistics commercial director for 12 months, and then 12 months and two weeks into my career with Moran, was asked to be the managing director. Right at the middle of the uh, driver crisis, um, <laughs> started in COVID, so I guess I've never known anything different in the cold chain sector, other than constant pressure, constant change, um, but I guess that's what we all like about logistics. It's been constant change throughout my career, so um, you learn to become adaptable. So this is probably, and actually the, you can't separate your experience from the, from the pandemic, I guess, but 
I mean, parcel logistics and cold chain logistics, how much of a similarity or a difference is there in those sort of models? Are they, are they fundamentally the same thing or are there big differences of what you, in your experience so far? So I came at an unfortunate time with COVID just having started, but also a fortunate time because I couldn't get out and see a lot of customers. I didn't meet a lot of the people in the business for the first six months because they were working from home, but it gave me time to research and find out about the technical side of the business. Yeah. But generally, from a leadership perspective, I think the two are very, very similar. It's about moving things from A to B. It's about exceeding customer expectations. And it's about doing it through good people. So it was the same simple fundamentals um, exist across parcels and, uh, and the cold chain sector. And obviously, let's explain a little bit more about what Moran specifically does. How do you, what, what's the, the part of the, of the cold chain that you specifically are servicing? So within Moran, we do temperature-controlled warehousing and distribution. Um, spe we're specialists in store delivery. So some of our biggest contracts are with the discount retailers like Aldi and Lidl, where we do the store delivery from DCs. The business started um, 16 years ago this month by one guy, Harry Moran, as a small recruitment agency. He then got a van, started with one van, and it's now 230 vehicles, 360 trailers, well over 400 people. So he's gone from nothing to a £60 million business in 16 years. Wow. Really impressive. And, and I can tell you now, he's got the same ambition today as he had when he started. He's constantly cracking the whip. In the background now, he leaves me to it, but he's on the phone four or five times a day, wanting to know what's happening and what we're pushing on next, because we've all got a, a big ambition to get this from a £60 million to £100 million business within the next two years. Right, wow. So... Yeah. During these difficult times, uh, it's, it's been challenging. We've had to, I bought one of my BDMs today um, because she's uh, had to stop selling at the moment. There's no point selling transport. I've just about filled my warehouses. So we're at the point now where um, we're just focusing on bringing back drivers, making sure we've got a really solid foundation so we can spring out of this as a really strong business. And that, I mean, I, I, can, I feel the frustration. Whenever I talk to business leaders like yourself, I feel their frustration at not being able to grow, not be able to get new customers, not to be able to do the, the thing that really sort of, you know, normally gets the fire in the belly of, you know, growth and acquisition and having to retrench and just make sure the operation is running slick. Has that been, how do you feel about that? Is, is that something you're feeling comfortable being able to do? Is it a needs must? How do you sort of, what have you learned about yourself in terms of having to try and execute that in the last few months? Well, first and foremost, the feeling has been frustration. Yeah. I came in as commercial director invested all of my time into building up a commercial team as Moran had grown to the size it was without really having a huge commercial team. So we really invested in that side. We just started to gather some really good momentum and then the driver crisis hit. We've had to focus on our contract customers um, and stop bringing in any ad hoc business, the things that really start and uh, grow the bottom line when you're really utilizing your assets and sweating those assets. But that's, that's the situation we're in. And you can only control what you can control. I'm a big believer in that. So we really looked internally at what we needed to do as a business and took some quick decisions. Um, I think one of the things that's really helped us to guide through this challenging time is we, um, we put a director in charge of resourcing right back at the beginning of April. We work closely with some of our largest customers. So we've, we've worked together to um, get rate increases that have then passed on to drivers. So we've had to join some of that race around paying more, which I don't in the long term think will be a bad thing. But we had a dedicated resourcing team led by a director that could give me instant feedback on how many um, adverts we were getting, how many new people we were getting coming in for assessment, how many were starting. And we came up with a number of different innovative models to attract people into the industry who 
were either working for competitors or people who'd fallen out of love with the industry. And I think that's one of the things that has struck me in the time that we've known each other, which is the last, you know, the last year and a bit, um, is, is you are most keen, you get, mo you get very excited, you get excited about talking about lots of things, but particularly when you talk to me, you get very excited about talking about people and training and development. And how, just tell us a little bit more about what you've done since you've come in in that area from Moran and how you see that as part of the solution to the problems the industry-wide is facing right now. Well, I listened to Tim talking earlier, yeah. and one of the things he said was, what else could the cold chain do for, for, the, for its members? I think that would be one of the areas I think could be explored more. Um, we spoke earlier yeah. this year, and you engaged with um, one of my contacts at the Apprenticeship College. I definitely think there's something to do with apprenticeships, but I think the way out of this, this crisis is really through people. Not just drivers, not just warehouse staff, but having the resources and the, to the right trained people in place to really attract those people back into the sector. We're not going to attract drivers just through money. We're reaching a, a ceiling at some point. Um, and I think we've got to be smarter about how we um, market the industry. How, these jobs are 40 grand a year jobs now, and, but you're not hearing that out of there a lot. There's no youngsters really wanting to come into the sector, and, and I think we've got a responsibility to really market that and push it out there. You, one thing you just said then, but I think you just answered it, is you said back into the industry. Do you think we can... Do you think there's people that have left the industry that could be attracted back, or do you think it's all about finding the next generation of logistics professionals? I mean, how do you see the balance of that? I think you have to do both. Yeah. It's been a, there's a lot of um, demand for drivers at the moment. So I know of quite a few drivers that have gone to work for e-commerce companies. That's really boomed. That's really drained the pool. So drivers that were paying all this money and going through all the compliance of becoming a HGV driver now can jump in a van and do multi-drop and earn similar money. And those things go have really changed the dynamics. Yeah, go home at night. They've changed all the dynamics of the sector and we've got to make this a more exciting industry again. We've, we, I heard your guys talking about feeding the world. I mean, we talk about feeding the nation. When you get people talking about feeding the world and really putting food on people's tables, I think that's the sort of messages. So people understand how important it is. You're not just going from A to B. We deliver milk, we deliver chicken, we deliver real commodity products that people need every day. And talking about those is what inspires me to come to work every day. To what extent do we need to embrace the idea that the, the nature of the job that we provide up to now, the nature of the warehouse job, you know, the, the full-time shift work, six days on, whatever, whatever, it's five days on, two days on, whatever it was, models, long hours, is that the problem? Is actually the situation that we're going to have to have more people doing less hours is that the, is that the future of logistics or is it or is it just that actually we want um uh, we just we just need to basically get people excited about it again it's a it's a combination of both it's getting people excited and believing that there is something good that they're doing when they come to work i'm, I'm a big believer in purpose yeah. and if people can have a purpose when they come in and they understand why they why they're picking food off the shelf why they're putting it on that wagon i think that's a big part of it um, so getting people excited is really, really key for me. Um, but at the same time, we've, uh, we've got to go back to um, looking at the models that we've got in place. I do think there's things to be explored around working hours, making the job interesting. We're just, at the moment, I'm pushing my team to come up with um, a way of allowing people who start in a warehouse to have a career development plan. So we've talked about warehouse to wheels. We've done things very basic in the past. But I think there's a lot more that we can do there now that there is apprenticeship levy money available for those types of things and we don't in that in our business promote that as much as i'd like so i really want us to start talking to people when they come into the business at the first 
as they step in the door about the opportunities that you can get through starting, as I did, in a, in a warehouse with a pad and paper, trying to control my stock. And one of the things that, you know, I think I've talked about this, I was talking about this earlier, and, and I've talked to people over the course of the last few months. There's a bit of a problem, we're in a bit of a loop at the moment, and I'm a bit worried about the loop that sounds quite negative, you know, the shortages, there's, there's lots of media talk about how bad the jobs are, and just particularly around driving, and also one of the things that's playing out is a bit of a, a negative interaction between the industry and government. Um, and uh, where both sides are sort of entrenching in the kind of who's to blame for the problems we're in kind of conversation, which doesn't really help anybody ultimately. But one of the impressions that's coming through in that media coverage and coming through in that uh, government relations is this isn't a very nice place to work and certainly not a very diverse place to work. And it Do becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, yeah. don't you think? That the yeah. more people talk about it, the more people believe it. Yeah. And I think that's what we've got to start and flip on its head as, yeah. as the industry, uh, people working already within that industry. I hear that all the time, and, yeah. and my guys will tell you, one of the things that I'm talking about all the time within our business is how we get a real positive culture yeah. of trust, respect, and teamwork. Yeah. And we've just implemented one of our largest contracts for a long time. It's been long hours. People have worked 15, 16-hour days. But the amount of camaraderie that builds, if we can then all... But it also creates pressure. There's been lots of fractious yeah. conversations. And if we can start and treat each other with more respect... And we'll get a real buzz yeah. and a real positive vibe and, yeah. and momentum from those types of things. Momentum, momentum, uh, motivation and purpose have really come through in what you've just, what you've just said. Um, let's move on to talk a bit about, um, and it's really hard to do this, and it's not really the right time. It literally right now, in this window of time in September 2021, is not the time to be talking about 10 years' time, really, because of the amount of immediate pressure we're under. But let's try. How do you think the cold chain, that you've, the business that you're in now, how do you think it can adapt to some of these sustainability challenges and environmental challenges that are presenting um, uh, to our industry in the, sort of in, the, in the short, medium term? And where do you think the pressures are coming from and where do you think the opportunities are for us to, to, to take advantage? I think a lot... It, it's interesting because they're the conversations that, that we were having right at the start. One of the reasons that we joined the, con, uh, the Cold Chain Federation... You, I'm a commercial guy. I just joined as commercial director. I wanted to save some money and you came up with an idea of... Um, the climate change uh, levy, yeah, I joined the climate change agreement with support from you guys, and that was the hook. And then we started to see the benefits of, of being a member. But it's interesting now, we were, we were investing and have invested in some CNG trucks and various alternative fuels, but those types of things have gone on hold while we've gone through this crisis. So it's now looking at, at the things that Tim and um, the guy from Magna Vale were talking Andrew, about earlier, Andrew. Yeah. Um, it's about looking at what we can do next to, do, to be smarter the innovations, the automations, we've got to really start and embrace technologies in this sector because um, coming from a parcel background and then seeing what FedEx did, we're talking about final mile um, electric vehicles. They're drones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're already piloting drones and yeah. a same-day bot that walks down the street and delivers you parcels. So things will move much quicker te technologically, I think, than we're already expecting. But and in this haulage sector, I think we've got to try and embrace that. Tell me, tell me if this is the sort of thing that's not not right to ask um obviously a lot of you know you you, you service you know you provide a, a very uh, good uh, service to to retailers and that's the kind of your so obviously you talk to retailers a lot retailers obviously are, haven't taken the foot off the pedal in terms of their rhetoric and their, des their desire to show their environmental credentials do you do you see from the retail community generally not your own customers just generally a genuine embracing of the di of, of of the of the, the, the difference between the target and the operational changes in order to 
achieve the sustainability goals that they, that they are signing themselves up to? And, how, and, and that filtering through to the customer base, to the supplier base, sorry. So the level that that's been embraced really varies by customer. So some of our customers um, really, really do live and breathe it. And it, you can see it's becoming part of their culture. Um, but other customers are sort of trying to get on that road, but don't always um, sort of embrace it in the same way. So I think it's, um, it varies by customer. And by the, some of the political challenges that they have within their business, I think help drives it as well. And do you think that it's ultimately down to the to, to the customers of us, our customers, the logistics industry's customers. And, I, and by that, I mean as much the supply chain division of an integrated retailer or manufacturer, as well as us, those that provide third-party logistics support. Can we be the drivers of change in that space? Or ultimately, are we at the, do we have to deliver what the customer wants? How do you marry those two tensions? If you want to do more on the sustainability side, how do you get your customers to go with you? How do you, how do, you do that? Is there a way, is that, is that even realistic to ask? I think we've got to be the drivers of change, not waiting for the customers. I think the people who really, really push this and get at the forefront, the customers will, will come as a, a result of what you do and how you're behaving. We're, for me, it's all about protecting the environment for our kids, for our grandkids, and for the future generations. And to do that, we've got to grasp the, really grasp the nettle, and we've got to move things forward. The customers, I think, will come as a result of that, and your business will grow if you attack that in the right way. So let's talk a little bit more about, about the, obviously, Moran has grown a lot and is continuing to grow and is providing a real, a, a time when the market's consolidating quite a lot, particularly in the chilled food segment. How, how much do you see the organic growth of, 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 of retail, chilled food delivery and last mile driving through into the opportunities for your business? How does, how, how, what's your assessment of that market dynamic? I think that the biggest thing that's changed in our business Shane as I said earlier we we stopped selling transport because drivers all went home for six weeks that's really starting now to hit the bottom and we're back on an upwards curve covering all of our routes and servicing all of our customers again the contracted customers that we that we really needed to service first and foremost but we've we've been quite fortunate in the um, the strategic decisions that the owner made a number of years ago so he built his warehouses um, outside of the golden triangle yeah and where other people now are having major resource issues in bringing warehouse staff in, we're not. And, we, and as a result of that, other people who simply can't service the customers and can't get food out onto shelves are moving business to us. And that's what's happened over the past three months. It's been warehouse work that's filled all the empty space that I had, um, and it's all fast-moving picking operations that have gone live really, really quickly. And that comes back to the people when you've got to set things up with three weeks' notice to implement on a WMS and have a full picking operation and bring new stuff in you're reliant on your people making that happen and that's where that development of people and that investment really pays off and i guess as certain other players big players in your in your specific segment get bigger and bigger the opportunity the opportunity of the alternative and the smaller operation relatively speaking sort of start to come to the fore a bit and you can sort of leverage that a bit in terms of your relationship with customers that's been a real benefit we're a smaller organization we can be more flexible as I say, the owner's an entrepreneur. If I ask him for 30 new vehicles, he'll say, what are they for? I'll put justification together and he'll sign it off tomorrow. And, yeah, yeah. and we move that quick. Yeah. We've set operations up twice in the last six months with 24 hours notice, picking operations for two different customers. And it's things like that that once you, once you go to the, the, the bigger, the huge players in the market, then they can't always offer that level of flexibility. And I think that's where... We're really keen to retain the family values and invest in our people so you get that agility and you can really move fast 
you do put some strain on the people when you do that, and that's something I have to be conscious of. As I say, I've had people working too many hours yeah, in the yeah. last um, seven days, and I'm sort of trying to pull that back now. But, but these things happen and allows us to be dynamic in the industry and win business quickly. My sort of last sort of question really is obviously, you know, Moranagis is a company that has been around for a relatively medium period of time, was never really part of the federation, was never really part of the sort of the industry network. What's the, you've obviously come on board in the last year and you talked about the specific reason why you did, but what's the benefit to you, and obviously from your own experience, what do you think is the, the value of collaboration and platforms like the federation to help you and your colleagues in the business? Um, you know, what is the value you've seen so far and what do you, what do you hope for platforms like ours to, to achieve for you? Well, first and foremost, the collaboration is a big part of it. Um, so speaking to other industry leaders, particularly for me, as you said earlier, 18 months in the cold chain sector, so I'm still learning about the sector. Um, some of the biggest things that you get, we get regular updates from you on email. I share with my team. They join webcasts, and it helps them with the, build their knowledge, so we get lots of benefit um, in this sector um, technically. From your guys we've had some um, aid from the legal team as well so we've had some of that legal support when we wanted some advice so there's lots of different avenues my advice to people would be to to speak to tom in particular and you guys and and try and get out of it what you can because there's there's more to be had from the cold chain federation than you first think and it's easy to go back into your own world be very busy and then not utilize the skills and knowledge around you and and that's something that we've started to do need to do more of still um but but that's where we've got the biggest benefit Thank you. And I think, I think that um, the chance to get people back in a room together is just great. Today, we're back in the room together for the first time. That's brilliant. We're going to do way more of that into, into next year. So let's, sort of, let's finish on a, on, a, on a question or a discussion, a, a question about, how, do you have a sense, do you, do you intuitively, whether it's intuitively or do you have a sort of a, a reasoned view of when the current problems and the current stresses that we're under will start to pass? Are you, how optimistic about you, about what time frames do you think are we going to see, see things returning to whatever a normal or a new normal looks like? So it's a really difficult question to answer because, as I say, we, we went through our worst period in August. We've yeah. got into the second week of September and, and we can see the difference now. We're managing to cover routes. We're starting to pick up work up again and we're really seeing things really positive. But I think we're ready to do another one of those again because the, the e-commerce sector will start ramping up for Christmas very soon. I've seen Amazon offering big, big um, incentives to warehouse staff to go and join them. So I think there's still going to be lots of bumps in the road. But I do think it's a, it's a long road. This isn't going to be fixed overnight. Um, it's a, the government, uh, in my opinion, haven't done enough to support us in the short term. It's all gone back to the, the sector. Some of it does lie with us. Some of it lies with government, in my opinion. But it's probably going to be a 12-month journey before we can really start and bring fresh blood into the sector. And we, but that will only come if we make it happen in the sector. The government's made that clear. We need to market these jobs. We've got to make it more interesting. When we bring people in, we've got to retain them by treating them in the right way. And then government have got to help us with facilities and, and things like that. No, thank you, Mark. I think, that's, uh, I think you're absolutely right. You know, it's very, very hard to find the logis logical projections of what's going to happen next i'm very personally very worried about how the industry is going to cope with christmas i'm worried about how the people are going to cope with christmas yep. after 18 months of the, of the stresses and strains they've been under to then deal with the christmas peak it's going to be a real challenge but then will the product be available for the christmas peak because we've got so many problems around the uh, the manufacturing and and production side of things as well so that sounds very negative but i guess what we can what we do know what moran has shown and every other business across the cold chain has shown is that 
we solve problems, don't we? Yeah, we certainly do. The availability of vehicles is something as well that yeah. at the moment is a challenge, but I think within 12 months that will start to level out again. They're playing catch-up at the moment from the pandemic, and I've had vehicles yeah. delayed till after Christmas that I thought I was getting in December. So, so th there are things like that that are going to continue to be bumps in the road, but yeah. we've got to be resilient as we are in the logistics sector, and that's and, one thing that we're really good at. And make sure that we're all working on it together, both collaboratively between competitors, but mainly up and down the supply chain, and make sure there's proper dialogue going on between everybody to understand what the art of the possible is, I guess. Yes. Thank you, Mark, very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, if we want to give uh, Mark our appreciation. Thank you. Thanks, Shane. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Thanks, thanks very much. So a bit of an abrupt end there, but as you can tell, another great conversation with a new leader on the block in our really exciting and dynamic industry. Um, as Mark really brought home in his conversation, this is a time of a great test for our industry, one where we're showing to show all of our skills of resilience um, to get through the days, get through the periods, and make sure we're servicing customers. Um, but it's also a time where we're showing what we can do, where we're building those long-term customer relationships, where we're helping to find the best of the people we've got w working for us. And with companies like Moran and leaders like Mark Burrell um, taking us forward, we can be really confident that we will emerge from this little window of time stronger than we were with uh, great prospects for the future and ready for the challenges ahead. So thank you all for listening. And this concludes the series of podcasts that we recorded at the TCS&D exhibition in Peterborough in September. Um, we really look forward to bringing the podcast back live again. In the meantime, there are a whole range of great virtual events taking place from the Cold Chain Federation between now and the end of the year. Um, look out for the live versions or the recordings of our Cold Chain conversation about feeding the city with Siva Logistics, Hubble, and uh, Bid Food. Also look out for our Cold Chain People event and our first ever Women in Cold Chain event. We're talking about really diving into some of the things that Mark talked about in this podcast around how we recruit, retain, and motivate our people. And then as we look further into the year, we're going to be bringing you the very ever-popular Energy Week, looking at some of the key innovations around energy in the industry, um, and then also looking at some of the issues around Brexit and coronavirus and how we, those immediate pressures face in the supply chain. Cold Chain's here for you. It is your network. Please take part. Please get in touch with me to suggest interviews or to suggest uh, content for the podcast. I really look forward to, uh, to doing this. It's one of the best things about my job, the real privilege that I have. So without further ado, don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to leave us a review. Don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast. And until the next uh, episode, I look forward to speaking to you again. Stay safe. Bye.